I was praying and I asked the Lord what I was supposed to wear. First, let me introduce myself. My name is Peter Mahegan. Uh, almost exactly to the day, 35 years ago, I landed newlywed with my Swedish wife, Marie. Um, we came to see my mom and dad, and within two weeks, the Lord had opened up a teaching position at Pembroke Academy, where I taught for the last 34 years, including last year where I was a sub because I retired because I can't do remote teaching. I can only do teaching face-to-face. So I asked the Lord what I should wear um, coming here today. This is my first time on a Sunday morning. That tells you how wonderful your Pastor Mark is and Pastor Richie to, to have confidence enough to allow me to come in and do this. And the Lord just said, it was really easy. He said, just dress like a teacher. So I did. <laughs> it's still August, right? So there are, some things, there are some things that really matter, and, and dressing right for the occasion matters. Now, there are a couple of things I want to say before I begin. I've got a shameless, um, a shameless publicity I want to do. This church is online, and then this church produces a, a, a YouTube video that you can watch every single week. And I'm actually the scribe in the back of the scenes transcribing Mark's sermons into study notes for life groups. And there are life groups that take the sermon, and, and it's not enough just to hear it on Sunday. They, they go over it during the week. But it's not something that has to be done in life group. The, the sermon notes are actually for personal devotion if you want to go back over what it was. Back in the heyday of the charismatic renewal, it wasn't enough to hear a message. You had to get the, the, the it wasn't a CD. They hadn't invented CDs. It, it was a little cassette tape, and some of you guys might not know what that is, but trust me, it worked. And you could put it into a little cassette player and wear it at your side. You could still, and when you weren't running, it would play without jostling, and you would hear the sermon over and over because it wasn't enough to hear anything once. So you can go back over last week's message, the week's message before, and you'll learn more from it the second time through than the first. And there are notes attached that make the message even more pertinent to what you're doing and stuff like that. And I'm the one doing those notes. That to me is, is the utmost privilege. But let me tell you something else that has been really exciting personally for me. The only way to teach, in, from, I'm a teacher, is expository teaching where you take a book and let the word of God teach itself. My job as a teacher is to recognize that John actually said to you, you have no need that anyone should teach you. So my job is to put myself out of a job. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. I'm just here to tell you that and to make sure you understand you don't need me. And my job as a teacher is to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you to prepare you for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? It is not cleaning the toilets in the building. Although that's important. We like clean toilets. But it's the apostle, the prophet, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. I'm talking right now to a group of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. That's you. Which one are you? Well, you may or may not know. But you probably do. Because you have this inkling inside of you that God has a purpose. And that purpose and that plan is vital to, to everything. So the, the, my job is to put myself out of a job and to tell you this is how it goes. We're looking at Romans, and Mark's gone from Romans 1 all the way through Romans 10. And Romans, to me, is the absolute best, most important book in the Bible. It was Romans that grabbed me in 1982 
and awakened me to the fact that God really can use me, that he does have a call on my life, that he is going to take me around the world and he's going to do things with me. None of that's going to enter into the sermon today, but he did all that. But it didn't begin in 1982, it began in 1970, and I felt like I was the worst. I couldn't call myself a Christian because I couldn't act like a Christian, but I knew the very basic fact that Jesus Christ did die on the cross and that God raised him from the dead, and that is the basis of all history. History began at the resurrection, which did happen. It's an undeniable historical fact. If I have an atheist friend in here, you still have to deal with what happened in this world because it really did happen. You've got to realize that the tomb was empty. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can try to prove that the tomb wasn't empty. It's been done. No one has ever been able to prove that the tomb was not empty because the body did not appear and it was seen by many. And the eyewitnesses are all so credible that it's undeniable that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So in doing all that, I want to take you through Romans. This is, this is the Evelyn Wood speed reading Romans class. What have we seen so far? In Romans 1, we discovered that the gospel is the power of God. How many of you want to see more power in your life? Okay, that's happening today. How many of you, how many of you feel like you don't have enough faith? You don't have, can you raise your hand? If you don't have enough faith, something, no, a lot of you, how many of you have enough faith? You have enough faith. You can say that mountain, be thou removed. Have you moved a mountain yet? Oh, I have. Not yet, not yet. Okay, yeah, but it's on the, that's on the agenda for tomorrow. Tomorrow, 9.30 p.m., we're going to move that mountain. There, yeah, I know. It's like, none of us have seen the mountain move, but some of us understand the basics. And that's what we're here for today. So the, when we know the gospel is the power of God, because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean from faith to faith? It means you're going to hear somebody who has faith talk to you, who have faith, and your faith will increase because of the faith that's being poured into you. That's how it works. It's from one believing mouth to another believing mouth, from faith to faith. That's how it works. That's how this gospel spreads. It's contagious, and you're about to, you can take your masks off, you're about to get it. No masks with the gospel. We don't need, we're, uh, this is the gospel unmasked. The wrath of God is also revealed. So we've got two revelations. It's the same word revelation that the book of Revelation is. These are two unmaskings, two unveilings. The revelation of the righteousness of God. We're going to see that today, what the righteousness of God looks like. And the wrath of God is revealed against, now watch this, against the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God is showing you what it looks like when he's angry, when men suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and when do they do that? Well, public school teacher, 1962, they forbade me to say Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They do not allow history to be taught in school, and you're sitting here saying this is the United States of America, separation of church and state. You shouldn't teach history in the public school. That's wrong. And the wrath of God is revealed because we refuse to teach what's true in the public schools. That's not good. Jesus rose from the dead. It's history. It's essential history. And we're not allowed to teach it. And that brings on the wrath of God. Well, what does the wrath of God look like? They don't acknowledge God is God, and so God gives their minds over to every kind of depravity, and I'm not going to go into that. 
but the depravity is clear to the point where you can list, in, in Romans 1, list it. I'm not going to go through the list. All the things that we do. And they are evil. They are evil. They're evil. Until you go on to Romans chapter 2 and you find out that they is us. Back in the 60s, there was a comic strip called Pogo. And the famous line out of Pogo is, we have met the enemy and he is us. Because everything I point the finger at them and say they're doing, it turns out that I'm the one doing it too. So as soon as I call you down and I'm doing it myself, I'm making a mockery of myself and everything I believe. So I'm blaming you for what I'm actually doing. I think this world is evil and I spend my evenings binging on Netflix. All the murder, all the destruction, all the child pornography, all of that stuff is going on in the world. And I use that as my entertainment at night and call it entertainment. And it boils right down to this. The symptoms are clear, but the root is what Ezekiel called out of Sodom in chapter 16 of Ezekiel. He said they had pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, and they didn't care for the poor and the needy. Homosexuality, sure, that was happening. That was the symptom of pride. Make Sodom great again. Fullness of bread, you don't have to look very far. Abundance of idleness, they're binging on Netflix. <laughs> and they're ignoring the poor and the needy. Welcome home. We're pointing the finger at them and we're not pointing the finger at us. And we're saying there's something wrong with them and we're not saying there's something wrong with us. There's something actually lacking. And here's the surprise. Among us, there are good people acting like Christians and they tell you they're not Christian. They're doing more Christian than the Christians. So the Christians are getting a well-deserved bad name because of what they're saying in the pulpit and doing in the streets. And in the meantime, there are people who care more than the Christians about their neighbors than the Christians ever thought they had to. And so we're fighting over who matters. When the fact is, you're the only one in this room that matters to me. You matter. Because what makes us matter is not skin tone, and tincture, and, and, and pigmentation, what, or sex. What makes us matter is proximity. You're my neighbor, you're mine, you're my target. And Jesus took away everything else so that we could concentrate on what really mattered, the one that's closest to me. You're three feet away, you're more important than the one who's five feet away, but that's the way love your neighbor works, and that's the assignment that we missed, trying to fight with people who are trying to make distinctions out of things that the Bible say no longer exist. These distinctions don't exist. So, oh boy. All right, that's... The one who's physically uncircumcised and keeps the law can still be counted as circumcised. Here's what Romans 3 says. We learned that the Jews got preeminence by the law of first dibs. They got the word first. So they mattered. How'd they do? Terrible. So Christians got the word. But Christians, having the word, didn't do any better than the Jews. Have we? And so Romans 3 ends up 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's the next verse? We always remember this when we're told to memorize. Evangelicals are told to memorize this verse. Blame everybody. Being justified freely by his grace. We've been justified. Now let me tell you what that means. If you've ever been in the slammer, I'm talking to you. You know what it was like when that, when that door was shut and you were there for the night and they might let you out the next day or you might be there for a while and then when they let you out and you walked away free, that's justified. You serve your time. We have served our time because Jesus took our penalty and God showed that it worked because he raised Jesus first from the dead. So we've been made Righteous, justified, and here's the trick, we're not on probation. We got justified with no strings attached. I don't have to make the phone call to my parole officer. It's better than going free. It's actually being commissioned to free others up as well. Romans 4 said Abraham believed God. What made Abraham so special? He got a word from God, he took God at his word. We'll go, that's it, okay. That's what faith is. And this is the definition of Christian faith. This is what it actually said. He did not waver through disbelief in the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God. Watch this. Being fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. That distinguishes Abraham's faith from many of ours. If he promised it, it is. And he promised at age 75 a child. He promised a child in Abraham 75 and he's going into his wife until he's 99 and she's 90. If your husband and wife just think about that and pretend that you're 90 and tell me how you feel, that's faith. And they had a baby. If you're Sarah and you've had children before, imagine having a child at age 90. If you're past the childbearing years, I'm not going to go any further than that. Chapter 5, we learned that sin entered the world through Adam and righteousness entered the world through Jesus. The law became a magnifying. This is what Mark brings up all the time. The law became a magnifying glass to our sin. We can distinguish righteousness from sin by looking at the law. We know that's wrong. So we go on. Chapter 6, we learn that we can only be as strong as that with which we identify. We either identify by considering ourselves dead to sin, or we consider ourselves live to God unto salvation. We self-identify. It's a new age term. We self-identify with righteousness. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. We look at Romans 7. This is where Paul says, I always do what I hate and I cannot do the things that I love. It's the Christian dilemma. It's what we live in. If you're living in Romans 7, the truth is you need Romans 8. Romans 8 said the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, that spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to give life and righteousness to your body. You've been justified and you're now going to be made righteous, which means your neighbor takes on greater importance than he ever has before. That's how you know it's happening. Romans 9, Paul talked about the Jews and what went wrong. He's saying, what's going on 
they're not getting it, and then that brings us to Romans 10. And in Romans 10, I wanna, I, I, we're going to go right through the chapter, and I got a few minutes for this, but, but I want to take some good time. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul's praying for them. What's the answer going to be? Why doesn't he give up? They didn't get saved. He kept praying and they didn't get saved. Well, I'm not going to tell you. But if you keep coming back, you'll see Romans 11. You'll see Romans 12. There are answers to these questions, but Paul didn't stop praying just because his prayer didn't get answered. For I bear witness to them they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You have family or you have friends that are very zealous and they feel like they know everything, and, and, and they, they, but it doesn't have the knowledge of God. See, the Jews have this idea, if I come to church on Sunday, if I go to life group on Wednesday, if I, if I help with the ministries, I'm good. They've got a list of do's and a list of don'ts, which the don'ts might include Netflix because Netflix showed cuties. So we boycotted Netflix. We don't do Netflix anymore. We do Amazon Prime instead. That makes us good Christians, doesn't it? Because we got a list of do's and we got a list of don'ts and we satisfy ourselves with our list. As long as I'm satisfied, I'm righteous, right? They're ignorant of God's righteousness and they're seeking to establish a righteousness of their own. They've not submitted to God. See, I'm saying they, 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 and I want you to notice that they, they, they is still me, me, me. I have this whole list of how to be good and it's not good because here's the, here's the real kicker. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. If I'm not Christ-like, I'm not righteous. There's only one standard, not two. It's not almost like Christ. You know, my neighbor, I'm only 240 pounds. My neighbor's 350. I'm okay. As long as I set the standard by somebody else other than Christ, I'll be okay. But it's not okay. You loving your wife the way she deserves, you loving her the way he does. Because if you're not, it's not the way she deserves. You loving your husband the way it said the way he tells you to, then that's right. Anything less, you've got a waste. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm saying you've got a ways to go. Stay with us. We're on this road together. Stay with us. So this is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible, by the way. In fact, I just went through all of my favorite chapters. Of all my favorite chapters in the Bible, this is my most favorite chapter. Moses writes about righteousness, which is the law, the man who does that will live by them. So he's going he's to set up a set of rules and he's going to live by that set of rules. But that's not what faith says. Faith doesn't say who's going to go to heaven to make Jesus come down. And faith doesn't say who's going to go to hell to make Jesus come up, to bring Christ down from above or to bring Christ up from the dead. Now watch this. Watch this. What does it say? It says, the word is near you. It's in your heart, in, in your mouth. Did you see that? We're not talking about Christ anymore. 
Who's going to bring Christ out? I want to see Christ. I really want to see Jesus. I would give anything if I could just see Jesus. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's not Christ. He is the word. John wasn't just writing stuff to be poetic. Where's Jesus? He's in my heart. How's that? Because the word is what comes out of my mouth is what he says. That's Jesus coming out of my mouth and going into my neighbor. The word is near me. He's in my mouth. He's in my heart. That's the word of faith that we preach. People who preach against the word of faith don't understand basic principles of the word of faith. The word of faith is Jesus in you, alive and true. The word is active, living, sharper than a two-edged sword. It comes out of your mouth. It says what your neighbor needs to hear. Are you getting this? Okay, so I'm almost out of time here. I don't want to run out of time because there's a really vital thing that I want to make. Look, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Continually, Jesus is Lord. What happens if you messed up? I stepped out of his lordship Jesus is Lord. I step back under his lordship. I've already been justified. I'm being made righteous. Jesus is Lord. I didn't love you the way I should, honey. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. I believe in my heart God raised him from the dead. It's history. It should be easy to believe. His sacrifice worked. His blood shed on my behalf worked. God accepted it because he raised Jesus from the dead. That's proof that I'm saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the heart you believe unto righteousness. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is reminding me that he's here. If the same spirit is calling me back to Jesus every time I mess up, if the same Jesus is saying, you can do this, is calling me, that's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. What can't he do on your behalf? He's able to do that. If that same spirit is there in my heart, I believe unto righteousness. He's transforming me. The mouth is confession. Because what did Jesus say? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out, what's in your heart is what you're saying. If you're saying a bunch of garbage, you probably got it off of what you're binging on. So don't. Fill your heart. Binge on the word. You want to be free? Jesus gave us the, he gave us the formula. Here's the formula. He said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. If you well, my, I built a tree fort. My friends came while I sat in the tree fort and tore it down. I went home crying. They tore down my tree fort. My mom was a wise woman. She gave me hammer. She gave me nails. She said, don't dwell on it. Go where they can't find you and build another tree fort. Don't dwell on it. Don't let your mind rest on what evil others have done. Don't dwell on it. Dwell on what Jesus said. You abide in his word. Yeah, hang out with him. I'm hanging out with the living Savior when I hang out with the word. You abide in his word. You're his disciples indeed. Yeah? 
I know, this is good stuff. Abide in his word. You're his disciples indeed. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And four verses later, it says, the one the sun sets free is really free. If you're fake free, there's a freedom for tomorrow. If you're fake free, you know it, there's a better freedom. Keep dwelling. Build a house around his word. Let his word, and when you start, when the word of God starts coming out of you, I look, I, I do speak the Bible in the public school. I don't tell anybody. They don't have to know. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, it's Mark 16 and 13, it saith, I don't have to do that. I don't even speak good, I speak French. I don't speak good King James. <laughs> Who, I didn't have to learn King James to learn French. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord and rich for all. You guys, look. Look at your neighbor. They may have a very interesting pigmentation. They're luckier than you are because you're stuck with what you got. (laughs) But it's not the pigmentation that makes us different. It's how we treat each other that makes us different. If we're treating each other like brothers and sisters, we're going to be different and they're going to say what's wrong with you until they become us. I don't want to be them. We're distinctive. We're a distinctive race. Peculiar, Peter calls us. I like him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed? This is the sticker and this is the end. This is the conclusion. How are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? They can't call on the Lord if they haven't heard of him. How are they going to believe on him they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? These are good questions. Your family isn't saved. How are they going to get saved if they never hear? Well, look, two quick things. One, I didn't become a Christian because anybody nagged me into the kingdom. I, came a, I became a Christian because somebody said Jesus rose from the dead and I checked it out for myself. And I hated reading the Bible because I kept seeing myself in the bad parts. And I said, I need help. The Bible did it for me. I got talked into reading the Bible in high school by somebody who knew that God raised Jesus from the dead. And in my closet, all by myself, not trying to make a show, because I was the biggest hypocrite he had ever seen. He told my mom that. And the seed he planted never died. How are they going to preach unless they are sent? They are written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. That's why I'm wearing sandals, by the way, just so you can see. (laughs) What? You have to see that my feet are are special. I didn't say it. Okay, never mind. But have they not all obeyed the gospel? Isaiah said, who's believed our report? How come they haven't believed? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There's only one way to get faith. If you say, I don't have enough faith, here's how you get more faith. Believe more stuff. (laughs) You can't say, I'm going to try this faith thing and say, if it works, that's not faith. I'm going to check out faith. Either Jesus rose from the dead and you know it, or he didn't rise from the dead and there's nothing worth believing. We're really wasting our time here on Sunday morning. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, that life that Jesus imparted is yours. And that's why you're here. You guys are good. I appreciate it because it sounds like you're getting this. This is so big for me. But how come they didn't hear? 
I don't know. See, there's this parable Jesus tells that says, the sower sows the word. Some falls on the footpath and the birds come and eat it. Some falls among the rocks and the sun shrivels. They start to take root. It starts to live. And some falls among the weeds and it chokes it to death. And some falls on good soil and it brings life a hundredfold. So how come they're not hearing? I don't know. Some of you guys have been like texting on your cell phone. And, and, and some of you husbands have been poked by your wife because you fell asleep again. You didn't hear everything I said this morning. Does that make you evil or bad? It makes you a human being in this world. Did you start dozing? Did you start falling asleep? Have you fallen asleep in church before? I had bruises after a Sunday service. My wife would not want to sit with me. And it didn't make me okay, but it made me not terrible. <laughs> but the fact is, we hear sometimes. It might be why you want to get a tape of this and listen to it again, because the second time you get the part you missed the first time. How many of you have read the Bible more than once? Did you get more the second time? Isn't that funny? How come you didn't get it the first time? Because it doesn't develop like, a, like, like an electronic picture. It develops like, oh, like what Jesus said. The word is the seed. The word that falls upon the good soil produces. So, so I brought this in today. And, and, and you, you see this? You see what this is right here? It, it came right out of the apple. And it's right there. There's nothing. There's nothing to keep this from becoming an orchard. There's absolutely nothing to keep this seed from becoming an orchard. If you just throw it away, it's gone. If you stick it in the compost, it becomes soil. But if you see in this, if you see an orchard and you have neighbors who need food, you've got to buy the field. This is not a backyard thing. It's time to sell everything you have and buy the field. Jesus told that parable. He came upon a treasure in the field. For joy, he sold everything and bought that field. I couldn't understand why you would do that, bury a treasure in the field. Well, when that treasure is alive and it promises life to your neighbors, you need a whole field. You need a whole field. Yes. You see, the word comes and then it comes and then it comes and it doesn't grow like some electronic instrument. It grows like a biological life form. The gospel is alive to us by constant water. Sunlight and love. The husbandman has everything to do with the product of the seed. You're the husbandman of the word you just heard today. You're responsible for every word you hear of God, which is not to put a burden on you. Jesus said, my burden is light. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's to convince you once and for all, you're not useless, you're skilled. You're not apart from, you're invited into. You're a vital part of God's plan, the work of the ministry. And there are neighbors who need to hear this. The fact is that God is actually moving right now. He's going to confirm the promises. The promises that he gave us, let me just say a couple of seconds. The precious promises that he revealed to us according to Peter make us partakers of the divine nature. So those promises that God made to you years ago, they still stand. It's as though he's still speaking those promises to you today. 
Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he says, as many as they be the promises of God. In Christ they are yes. So the amen can be spoken. So don't be afraid to pray those promises that you were promised. Don't be afraid to say, it wasn't for yesterday, but it is for today. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching. Thank you.